It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs. By the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. Welcome back, everyone. Good to be with you. Part two of our conversation with Nathan Mendy of BoxerWorks just ahead. Short reminder, drop us a line on anything. Survivor bikes, tell us hello. Tell me I say ah and um too much when I'm interviewing. I'm happy to hear whatever. Airheads247 at hotmail.com is the email address. We're getting even closer to the goal of 200 new members for the BMW MOA. Please consider joining with our free one-year digital membership the offer is valid to all our listeners from Birmingham, UK to Birmingham, Alabama, and all points on the globe in between. So, as I said before, if you can hear the program, you're eligible to take advantage of this offer. The description section of this and all our episodes has details on how to take advantage of that. William Plam from Boxer 2 Valve, we've given him the week off. He'll be back with us in our next episode for another Tech Talk. In the meantime, be sure to visit Boxer 2 Valve for quality replacement parts and specialty tools for your 247. Thanks to William and the crew for supporting the program. All right. So a notebook and an ink pen, maybe when you're listening to this this week, as we rejoin our conversation with Nathan Mendy from BoxerWorks. Nathan's going to be rattling off a number of changes, improvements, modifications that he does on the mono lever and para lever GS builds. He does it in rapid fire pace. I was having to take notes as I was doing the interview just to keep up with it all. So GS riders or prospective GS owners, as I said, maybe take a few notes on this one. Off we go. Nathan Mendy, part two on the Airhead 247 podcast. So Nathan, I want to ask you about um, some bike builds uh, on your on your website. You alluded uh, to a few of these at the top of the conversation, but there's two in particular uh, I want to ask you about. I'll remind folks uh, boxerworks.com uh, and check that out. And oh, there's it's boxerworks.org. Dot, okay, thank you. Boxerworks.org. Yeah, no it's boxerworks.org. Uh, and uh, so there's great uh, photos uh, of a lot of those bikes here, but. In this in this forum, uh, I want to ask you about the gray uh, 80GS you did, and then also the what you're calling the 80-100GS, uh, both of those. Uh, the first thing I noticed about the uh, gray 80GS, you did something uh, I did, which was put on forks uh, from uh, an 88-on-GS, uh, so take off the sort of spindly ones that came on uh, those early first generation GS bikes and put on the beefier front end. Uh, I really, I've talked about that a number of times in this program. That's just a real, I want to say, for the most part, simple swap uh, as far as getting the forks on there. 
Plus, you've got the benefit of uh, the relocation of the brake caliper. And in my case, I went ahead and bought uh, a, a tubeless uh, wheel from that same era and was able to... And the thing I really liked about that was you get rid of that bearing configuration on the early 80s models with the uh, wedding band spacers and all that kind of stuff. And those uh, later model front ends, you just pop in the sealed bearings and you're done with it. You also did, uh, which I really want to want you to elaborate on a little bit more, is taking the 17-inch wheel from the paralever, the four-bolt, and sort of grafting that on to a monolever GS. So t tell me about that, that uh, wheel conversion on the back. Uh, basically, we take the wheel apart. We mill the hub so that when we put the wheel back on, the center of the hub, the hub will be in the right place for the brake, uh, where the brakes meet, the brake meeting matching service, and then we, uh, the wheel gets uh, laced that it's offset 15 millimeters away from the swing arm, so you have the room to put uh, 17 inch big TKC 80 on, and then you obviously have to change the rear drive from the three lug to a four lug. Um, and you can either get it off the, uh, you can get the short gear, the 3711 off the R80 um, shock, which they made for a couple of years. And then the, the rest of the bikes, the RSs and the RTs were either either uh, the 3.0 rear drives or, or uh, 3210 rear drives. So they're more of a road gear. And what we do a lot, we'll put the road gear on the bike and then we'll put a shorter first gear in it. Okay. To make up for what you're losing by putting a taller gear, and then we that's a 6% shorter first gear. And then we put a 6% taller gear in it. So um, you can take uh, the R80GS, for instance, which came from the factory with the 3711 rear drive, um, and if you change the rear drive to a taller one, put the shorter first gear in it, put the taller gear, you're turning almost 900 RPM less at speed. So it makes the bike wow. uh, something you can drive on the highway to get to where the dirt roads are uh, without chattering your teeth, without you know rattling yourself to death, without uh, wasting your gas. And yeah. you, know, you make the bike a little more civil uh, for the road. And, that, that's, and, let me jump in, Sarah, and say that sure. is a significant uh, decrease in RPM. I still have uh, on my uh, 81 GS, I still have the original uh, final drive on there. And yeah, you know, when you're on the road, 70 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, it's, you know, north, uh, you know, it's around 5,200 RPM. Maybe I can't, I haven't had my tachometer on there for a while, but it's spinning pretty high up there. So with this conversion, you're really significantly dropping, uh, the RPMs. Yeah. Well, that was, that was part of the impetus yeah. to do this. You know, you can find, uh, a 3210 for your bike. That's what supposedly the ST was supposed to come with because okay. that was supposed to be the road version, but they're, they're <laughs> harder to find in hen's teeth. Um, they're really hard to come by. Now, you can buy the ring and pinion and re-gear it yourself if you want to spend the time to do it, um, You know, or you can go kind of halfway and put the taller 6% taller gear, which will drop your RPM probably about 300. Uh, so if you were at 5, you'd be at 47. Um, with these bikes now... When we drive them down the road, you're turning 70 miles an hour at 4,000, 4,100 RPM. Wow. 
Boy, yeah. you've given me something yeah. to think about there. And, you know, the other advantage is, yeah, try finding a three-lug uh, GS uh, spoke wheel. I mean, A, they're not around, and B, if you find, I mean, they're hard to find. The hubs are hard to find, and they're real expensive uh, to begin with. So, you, you know, the availability of a paralever 17-inch spoke four-lug wheels, uh, I think, uh, a lot better. Yeah, so what's happened is, First of all, if you need any of those three lugs, I got plenty of them. Okay, the okay. We take apart, we turn into four lugs. They're laying in the corner. Okay, here. all right, fair I, enough. I front wheels too. I stole a I stole a rotor off one for this ST that came in today. But so here's what's happened. Uh, I did this conversion originally on my bike in 2012. Yeah. And so, and my my bike has kind of been the rolling laboratory for a lot of what we did. This gray bike, which, by the way, I'm looking at because we built it four years ago, and the guy never picked it up. And he finally showed up a month ago, and so we're going back through it and getting it running so he can he can pick it up. But so what's happened is, used to be, you could buy a set of wheels for this bike for three fifty. Well, now it's a thousand dollars for a back wheel or a thousand dollars for a front wheel. Nine ninety nine. You'll, you'll see them all over the place for nine ninety nine. Occasionally, you'll see one for six ninety nine if you're lucky. That's in reasonable condition. So as this has become more popular, again, as I said earlier, being a, uh, a product of our own, you know, you know, creating our own problems for ourselves by <laughs> yeah. searching around for stuff. So we the cost of a lot of these things. Front ends are the same way. I just bought two complete front ends out of Germany. Germany just last week. I got the first one in yesterday uh, because I can't find them. Uh, they're getting harder and harder to find, and we're doing another one now. We just we just came back from the powder coater, and we've got the chassis and, with the front end on it on the bench now. Um, so I need them on a regular basis, and I can find them, but just a set of triple trees for these things are three to $400. Um, so, you know, uh, it's great and it all works well, but it's going the same way all the rest of this. The value of everything is going. The more people see you doing it, the more they want to do it, or the more they want you to do it, the more people realize the stuff is worth uh, and the more money you got to pay for it. So, uh, All right. Well, let me, let me just ask you, and conversationally, not that I'm going to do this, but let's say I bring my 81 GS to you and I say, Nathan, uh, I want the 17-inch uh, four-lug uh, conversion. Generally, what's the cost going to be on something like that? Just for the rear drive? For for the whole thing. So, uh, uh, I mean, the, I mean the rear the rear wheel. Setup. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I am now paying probably five hundred dollars to to seven hundred dollars for a four-lug rear drive. Getting them almost all in Germany, and then once I get them here. And I'll say I got six fifty in them. Everything that comes in the shop gets taken apart, cleaned, and rebuilt. Right. So, so a, a rebuilt rear drive uh, is going to run you just the drive alone is going to run you about nine hundred bucks, yep. give or take. Okay. Um, then the wheel again. We're going to depend on what happened. The bike I just built, uh, which left yesterday, I was able to sell the guy the rear wheel modified at a reasonable price because I bought it a year ago. Um, and so I was passing on that savings to him. But now, for me to buy the same rear wheel, I got to haggle with somebody to thousand dollars. And you know, if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I'll buy it for eight fifty. So, it, it, so if I look at a wheel for eight fifty, uh, let's say eight fifty to get it to me. By the time I take it apart, it takes a couple hours because the spokes are stuck in the rim and right, stuck right. in the hub. they've been there for so long. So I got a couple hours in that. 
then I got to set it up on the mill and take 17 millimeters out of the hub that have to clean everything up. And I send these to Woody's. He builds them for me because he's got the jig and I can make much better use of my time. We build wheels, but not the offset ones. Sure. Um, so he supplies his folks and he builds them and send them, sends them back to me. So I'm shipping them there, that thing there and back. They're all clean. The hubs are done. The rims are clean. They're ready for him to put together. He checks the rims for straight and then sends them to me. So by the time I sell the wheel to you, at a good deal, it's twelve or thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars. So, and I had a tire to that. Um, uh, so we got a rear drive, a tire, and I had labor. The labor actually isn't a whole lot. Taking the rear drive off, um, swapping that stuff out. Um, you know, that part of it alone, labor's probably you know four hours. Uh, labor's not a lot. So. Um, you know, you're looking at uh, twenty five hundred, three thousand bucks. Now that does not include regearing the transmission either, though, does no, it? That's a whole another deal. And to take your gearbox, if you send me your gearbox, I get a lot of gearboxes. We yeah. build a lot of gearboxes. If you send me your box and it's functioning now, and I take it apart and it needs or it doesn't need the circlip, I have a small lathe set up and a little setup for cutting the circlip in. So if I get a bike, from, if I get a transmission from you that. That it's okay, but you know we're going to replace the bearings, the springs, the seals, the gaskets. That's you know we're, we're rebuilding the gearbox and we're putting a, in a, the taller fifth gear. I don't know if you want the shorter first, but the taller fifth gear right now is costed about two nineteen. The cost to put it on is nothing because once I take the bearing off, I right. take it off, put the new one in. The first gear is on the lay shaft and it's different. It has to be heated and pressed in a twenty ton press. Take it off and then placed at the exact right spot, which is where we run into problems. It takes a little more time. So, um, so we re- rebuild the gearbox. Uh, normal rebuild cost is probably three fifty in labor, three fifty in parts. Um, if I need to put the circlip in, you could probably add another half hour. So you got to strip the output shafts, chuck it in my lathe, you know, cut it, put it all back together. Um, uh, parts in general, like I said, are three fifty. If it needs an output flange, those things are like three hundred dollars now. Yeah, yeah, and. And, you know, there are more taper, and once I see a certain amount of threads sticking out of the nut when it comes in the door, I know that once I go to retorque it, it's going to jam itself up against the back cover. <laughs> and so I keep some in stock that I use that I think are good. Um, so it, it kind of depends, but... Um, you know, the, the, the transmission rebuild with the gear is just the cost of the gear. There's no, there's no extra labor involved. I follow and you. Short first gear, short first gear is a little different. I follow you. Well, I have to say, uh, you know, for folks uh, who you're building these bikes for, or taking uh, long extended journeys, uh, or for guys uh, who are hard riders uh, and you know take long journeys uh, on a yearly basis or whatever, that makes a lot of sense uh, on a bike like that. Um, you know. You've got, uh, as you mentioned, uh, significantly less RPMs, uh, a tubeless tire, uh, you know, better gear ratio, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, it's a smart conversion. And, you know, it also really speaks to the fact that uh, how interchangeable uh, parts are from BMWs of that era. Uh, just by, you know, as I mentioned, just swapping the forks uh, from a second generation GS back to a first generation GS really makes a big difference uh, in my view on on performance now some of those uh, some of those things we've just talked about there you also did on the uh, 8100 GS conversion and again uh, we want to mention to folks boxerworks.org you can go check out visually what we're talking about here uh, that bike I'm referring to now uh, we were sort of talking about the gray one before uh, the 8100 GS has those modifications but a number of other ones too, and that was your 
personal bike. So tell me a little bit about some of the neat tidbits and uh, doodads you did on that. Uh, wow. That one, that bike started in uh, 1998. Okay. Uh, for a customer who's now out in Oregon. Uh, he basically built part of the bike himself, and then I helped him with the bike. And then he moved out to Encino, California, my friend Howie. And then in 2004, I think, I bought the bike from him and flew out there and spent six days, took it apart, went through it, and then me kind of meandered across the country on the bike. And it was pretty, at that point, it was a stock GS, except that he had changed the headlights to the dual lights and put a Tortec IMO on it and changed a few minor things on it. Still had the same suspension. Uh, it still had the, I think it had the smaller tank on it. Um, it was still basically a GS. And then over the years, from riding, um, again, you know, the, 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 the tubeless thing stuck its head up. I also want to mention on the tubeless tire situation in the back. Yeah. And when you go to a 17 inch, the, the tires that you get to choose from expands exponentially because, uh, you know, a, a 130 17 is what they use on, uh, Suzuki DR650s. They use on a million bikes. And so that's the stock size tire. So you have tire choices. When you get an 18s in the back, uh, KTM uses them on the new bikes, but they start at 150 and go up. There aren't a whole lot of people. It's it's hard to find a TKC80 in an 18, in a 418. You can find the Heidenau K60 Scout in a 418. But in general, 18-inch rear tires are hard to find. So it makes your tire selection better. But in any event, so um, I I got the bike back from Howie, and I started spending more time off-road on the bike. And that uh, forced me to start thinking about a lot of other stuff. One of them was fuel. I ended up putting an 11 gallon of service tank on it, which I had on it for a while. Um, and then, and then I was, I, I, for years I rode with two up with my girlfriend. And so, uh, we ran heated gear a lot. So we had to update the charging system. Um, the fact the bike had was an 81 first year for electronic ignition, first year for Nicosil cylinders, first year for the slicker shifting gearbox. Um, all those things were were great additions. So it made the bike kind of modern at the time. Uh, you know, last time we got a flat tire, we were riding in the sand. We picked up a spoke and we spent four hours on the side of the road with the bike laying over while we, you know, bashed on it to get the the bead broken. Uh, so that 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 got me into the talking, you know, thinking about the wheels. Um, the regearing of the bike is something that I read about and uh, just decided to go ahead and try it. Um, you know, I decided to, I started dual plugging bikes and what happened to dual plugging was interesting. I raced BMWs for all. When I first started road racing, I, I built an R90S and we dual plugged them. The, the, the flame pattern in a, in a two plug bike is so, so off center that you never, you don't have the time to burn, completely burn the charge inside there. And so when we raced them and we wanted the most power we could get out of them by putting another plug in, making a asymmetrical frame flame front made the bike run better. Well, so what it does now to people who travel around the world is if you're in Mexico and you run in Pemex, it's junky gas. If you're out West, you run an E85, it's junky gas. The more efficient your cylinder, the easier it is to assimilate the bike to running on shitty gas. And so we started doing that for world travelers. I started doing it on my own bike because I was, spending time in places where the gas was bad and this made the bike run better. I didn't do it to get more power out of it. I got it because it made it was more efficient. It also gave me the opportunity to, to put smaller jets in it. It was more efficient. So I go down hmm. to my main jets 
uh, so we get a little bit better gas mileage. Hmm. So lots of stuff in general uh, kind of fell into place um, with, with, with that kind of setup, the, yeah. the dual plug setup. Yeah, I also right. noticed uh, on that bike you adapted uh, header pipes from the paralever as well. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's nothing worse than this perfect example today of getting my bike ready to go and my left head gasket been leaking for four years, and so I decided <laughs> I probably should fix it. So when you have those pipes, it's great because you only have to take one side off at a time. Yeah, you know, normally half the time you spend is getting the goddamn exhaust system off, then you got to pull the muffler <laughs> off and the head pipe and this and that and the other, right. and you got to get the two head pipes in at the same time, which is a pain in the ass unless there's two people. I said, you know, this is ridiculous. So I put those on. And and so it makes the service easier. Same thing with the air boxes. Um, the square air boxes from a service point are a pain in the ass. I don't know if they work any better. People say they do. I don't know if you take the, the, the clamshell air boxes and drill the holes in the back for anything over a 50-horsepower motor. I think they work just fine. They're easier to service. They look nicer. You have to change the starter cover, but we have piles of those parts. Same thing with the rocker covers. I just like the way they look. I like the peanut-looking ones better than the than the, the, the angled ones. So, you know, add a little vintage look to it. So we started doing that. Bash plate, the same way. You can buy oil pans that have the four holes in them. you got to have something to protect the bottom of your bike if you're going to ride off-road. The one that comes on the R80GS is a minuscule little thing that, that that's barely worth having. You know, the ones from the R100s or the aftermarket ones wrap around the front so they protect the header pipes as well. Um, so we changed oil pans. We've teamed up with the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America to offer a special membership deal for our listeners. Now, before you think, wait a second, Darren, how much is this going to cost? Let's just stop right here and say it's free. This is a complimentary one-year digital membership for Airhead 247 podcast listeners. The MOA has a goal of adding 200 new members over the next several months. That's a lot, but I think they can reach that goal with our help. By supporting the MOA with this offer, you're also supporting this program. And let's say this again, it is free of charge. Visit 247.bmwmoa.org and complete the online form using the activation code AIRHEAD247. That's easy to remember. You'll receive your free one-year digital membership, and that will give our program credit for referring you. Or go to the description section of this podcast. We've got a direct link right there. Membership in the MOA offers discounts at hotels, a monthly magazine, great deals on roadside assistant programs, plus a fantastic network of BMW owners that share your passion. All this, plus you're supporting our efforts here with the podcast, bringing you unique insight into the world of the 247 Airhead. That website, once again, for your free one-year digital membership, 247.bmwmoa.org. Use the code AIRHEAD247. Thank you very much for your support. Um, you know, we changed, I mean, there's so many things that we changed on these motorcycles. Uh, foot pegs, I made brackets to lower my foot pegs. Now, of course, you can buy them. Shifters, we cut, cut about an inch off shifters now and shorten them. If you've got big feet, uh, it's hard if you're going to shift. You, you either got to set it up to shift standing up or set it up to shift sitting down. <laughs> right. This bike we just did for Bill, Bill's got size 12 feet. 
And so we, we set it up with two-inch lower pegs, and then I shortened the shifter, and then he took it and rode it. Uh, and, and he rode the shit out of it. He, he, he actually bent both fork legs, which we mentioned. I think we may have mentioned it anyway. Uh, he said, you know, this is great when I'm standing up, but when I'm sitting down, my feet kick out. Your, your feet are in different positions mm-hmm. when you sit. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing for him is I took the, uh, cut the end of the shifter off and I put a bolt in there. And I extended the shifter so it's two and a half inches wide. And now it works fine because he's got big feet and he can catch it without catching the edge of his foot on it. Um, you know, lots of people make tour tech, lots of people make short shifters. They also make extensions to move the whole shifter out. Um, a bunch of stuff you can do. Side stands the same way. Uh, the side stands that we've done on these bikes are brown side stands. And what we're doing with them now is we take the stand, we cut the bracket off, we change the angle that the stand is so that the bike stands up nicer. And then we, we grind out the back so that when it's at rest, it sits parallel with the swing arm. Normally they, oh, they yeah. Cattle a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what you have to do is you have to weld a bracket. You don't have to weld a bracket on the frame. There's ways around it, but they're expensive. And they're time-consuming. You've got to take a piece of uh, inch and a quarter by a half-inch stock, mill it, slot it, put it on, put the cut up a side stand, tack it in place, pick it up. It's just too much work. And so, if you don't mind, and I'm I'm already building your bike from scratch, and I'm doing I'm welding on it anyway. So I, I weld a bracket on it, and I put the side stand on, and so it's easy to deploy. It's easy to see. It's robust. Uh, it, you know, nothing worse than a BMW side stand. I was going to say, yeah. Them and their seats. Yeah. They just haven't been able to do either one of those things. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, that, um, the, the, the brakes in the front, you know, we traditionally use the four-piston Brembo, left side four-piston Brembo off an oil head. We mill three millimeters out of it. The center to center on the holes is exactly the same. We stick it on so it, we get better brakes. We build a stainless line, and we change the master cylinder from either a 12 or a 13, which is what the GS or the ST came with, to a 15 or a 16. Uh, the 16 is ideal, I think, but if you have short hands, there's, there's, no, there's no free play in it, very little. So you've got to be able to get your knuckle out against it and pull it in. So we use 15s for people who need a little more free play in the, in the pedal uh, when they go to grab it. So there's that that whole update the the fork braces junk that they come with right uh, now from we, what we did for a while was we just doubled them up we took the stock ones and welded them together oh okay san jose made some really nice stuff but you can't buy them but there's a company out of i guess it's england now called flat racer they make a real nice stamped stainless one we just put it on the bills bike it's, it's nice and it's reasonably priced i think with shipping it ran us a little over 100 bucks oh, yeah uh, it's, it's a great addition because you you got to have a good a good uh, support down there so um you know, the front end, the other thing we're doing on some of this stuff is we're going to a 12-inch floating rotor versus the 10-inch that BMW made. That allows us on some of the bikes like the the GS to put uh, this four-piston on it very easily because it pulls us further away from the center of the hub, gives us a little more room. We make adapters uh, for different stuff to adapt the different for the four-piston Brembo to different front ends. We make them out of aluminum. We've got patterns for all different ones, and it lets us adapt that uh, that to it because the brakes on the GS and the ST are terrible. They're better than the Ates. The Brembos are a far cry better than the ATEs. They're yeah. single-sided, you know, yeah. but uh, they're still, they still leave a lot to be desired. Uh, they're, yes, um, they're, they're a bit marginal. I agree. Right, right. You know, we, we uh, on my own bike, I've got Makuni carburetors, 
Um, that's pluses and minuses. You know, it livens the bike up. Uh, it's like adding 10 horsepower, but it also increases the throttle response, which is great if you're on the road and not so great if you're running technical stuff and you don't want to break <laughs> the rear wheel loose. You want to have a little more finesse. So you, you just kind of get used to it. The other thing is that it's a little bit better. Flow pole screwed on, so it works a little bit better in the water. Uh, a little less chance that water is going to seep its way in uh, when you run those, you know, when you're in some water. Uh, Makunis work a little bit better. Makunis are inexpensive. You got to make cables for them depending on what you're doing. Um, but you know, I, I did it on mine. We do it on some people's bikes. I try to keep bikes relatively as stock as I can, so you can buy all your parts from a BMW dealer, which is you know why we use the four-piston Brembo off the oil head because you can still go to your dealer and buy pads for it or a rebuild kit. Um, which is why we're still using the stock master cylinder arrangement on the handlebars. Um, we could go to something else that would probably work better, but uh, these work fine in there and their stock. You know, another thing that we've started doing is spending a lot more time on the rear suspension. You know, the last couple of bikes we built, we had Penske build us a custom shock. Um, the one we did, uh, that was the Patagonia bike that we did that my friend Newt is driving from Portland to Patagonia and then to the tip of South America. He needed a, he needed something that he could carry weight on and something that would work well on, you know, heavily traversed dirt roads. So we got, a, we got Penske to make us a shock without the separate reservoir. Um, so we had uh, rebound, we had damping, you know, which was no problem. We had uh, basically slow speed rebound, which is what the adjustment down at the bottom of the shock is. But for Bill's bike, the blue bike that we just built, Bill's a really aggressive rider. We had them build us one that has four different adjustments. We've got a low speed uh, damping, and then we've got a high-speed compression and damping. That's part of the canister. And by the time you set up and set the sag, most people buy a shock. Oh, yeah, I told the guy how much I weighed, how much I'm going to carry. He set it up for me. Well, all he did was set up the spring. He didn't really set anything else up. Unless you spend the time to set the sag on your bike uh, and get all that dialed in, you're not getting the benefits of, of your motorcycle, You know whether it uh, makes it safer, smoother, better, whatever. Um, that's something else that we've realized is real important. Front ends the same way. We just took two front ends apart and put the race deck emulators in them. Gives us a little more control over what happens on the front end. Um, you know, there's lots you can do with suspension. You can set the sag on the front. There's a lot of stuff that we're getting more and more involved in on these bikes because more and more people are coming to us and asking us to build bikes for, for specific reasons. The blue bike we built for Bill is not a road bike. We didn't do a plug-it. He said, I'm not going to be riding the highway. This is going to be a bike I'm going to ride in the desert and in the, and, and in the woods. He said, I'm not going to be taking this far, far away. It's going to be a bike that I'm going to ride mostly locally. Uh, so I just want it to be a good off-road bike. I'm not concerned that much with, you know, some of the detriments it might have uh, on-road that, that we lose when we go to off-road. Uh, Lighting is another one of those things. Uh, we've just got hooked up with a company called Ruby Lights. Uh, Bill Whitaker hooked us up with those. Um, that's a small company. It's a one-man show. He's got good stuff that probably we think a little bit better than the Clearwater stuff. We use Clearwater for a while, also a good light. Um, the Ruby stuff, is a, it, it comes well, well set up in terms of putting it together. Everything screws together. Relays are already encased in screw-together attachment stuff, and uh, we like their stuff. And lighting's important. 
uh, whether it's uh, I've got old HID lighting on my bike, but, you know, we're using uh, all kinds of LED lights front and back. And you know you need to increase your conspicuity the best you can, whether it's a flashing tail light or a set of back off lights on the back or Indeed. you know whatever. Indeed. You know. So you know we're putting bark busters are, are are part of every build now. You got to protect your hands. You got to protect the the, uh, the apparatus up there. Um, oh, lots of lots of takeoffs for electricity. Um, some of them switched power. Some of them unswitched. You know, if you want to sit there and smoke a cigarette and, and look at your GPS, you might want to unswitch power so you don't have to leave the bike on or leave it running or, or whatever. So, you know, we, we're trying some bikes we brace the frames on, some of them we don't. I mean, it just kind of depends sure. on what's going on. Uh, and, of course, a lot of it depends on how deep your pockets are. That's what I was going to uh, say. Yeah, that's yeah, the big well, factor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I can do whatever you want. I, I, I can't. You know, a lot of these, like the my REGS, I got rid. Of, I got. I got. I got rid of the collector a long time ago. It's got a crossover pipe on it. What I did to start with, when I put the R100 pipes on, I put an R100 collector on it. Because your horsepower is made your collector. Well, the R100 is just like this big goiter. So I said, well, I'll take care of that. I cut the bottom off. I cut a hole on the top, and I welded that on the top so I still had the same volume. Uh, I still didn't like it, so I went out and bought a crossover pipe. Uh, now we make our own exhaust systems. Um, there's a guy named Paul Miller. Paul's out in Cholo, Arizona. He used to be next door to me. Paul built uh, Dale Earnhardt's, uh, I, mean, I mean, Bill Elliott's race cars. He worked for Hooker Headers. He worked for uh, NASCAR building headers. He, he's a jet-powered dragster guy. He cert- if you want to be a jet-powered dragster driver, Paul's one of the guys who, you, who certifies you. Makes jet-powered afterburners. He's a crackerjack with anything, and he, he designed, we put some exhaust systems together. He designed them. They're all real nice stainless steel, and we put them on all the bikes we build. Um, and that's just bolt-on stuff. There's no, there's no jetting needs to be done. Uh, we tucked them up tighter than the Siebenrock stuff. We couldn't get bash plates on with Siebenrock. We mm. had to change center stands. There's just so much stuff that we, we did for ourselves that just kind of translated into doing for other people that made sense to us. Um, you know, we changed the rear. For instance, Bill's bike and the bike we're building now, we took the R80GS or ST rear frame section off. You can put an R100 GS frame section on. It's a little bit longer, but it works perfectly. It's a lot more robust. Very much more, yeah. On the early GSs. And so you have to make a couple of small changes on it, but not, nothing that doesn't take a couple hours in a welder and a, and a spray can of paint. And so, you know, and it's easier for us to find R100 GS subframes. Yep. They probably made more of them. So we're, you know, I just bought one the other day. Hell, I bought an R100 GS frame from a guy off of Facebook. He had no idea what he had. I paid 150 bucks. I see the same ones for 750 all day long. I paid 129 ship for the rear frame section. They're seven, they're 375. I mean, uh, again, people, just, you know, they're they're taking stuff apart and selling it, but other people just don't seem to know what they have, and so they sell them. But there's there's so much stuff you talked about interchangeable interchangeability. There's just so much stuff that's that you can interchange and so much stuff that works if you got a little bit of you can put a little thought into it and you can you know you got a you can cut and weld and 
you know, do that kind of stuff. Well, the rear brake lever, you know, on these model levers, we turn them upside down. If it's the type that have the profile on them to make the brakes go in and out, you turn that profile up on the other side, you turn the lever up, and you get more ground clearance. If it's the later style, which had flat uh, brake shoes, uh, oh, you just turn it upside down. Done deal. Yeah. So they made different brake shoes on the later, the later rear drives. The four-lug rear drives have flat ones. They, they are, some of the earlier ones had, you know, we have to grind out the radius and turn them upside down. But, you know, that's a simple fix. We take the, uh, the filler plug out of the rear drive. Uh, we take a little uh, a pipe plug adapter, uh, and we screw it in, and we screw a nipple on it, and we put a hose on it, and we run the hose back up under the seat. So when you do a water crossing, you do a water crossing, that's a vent. That's just a, that's, you're asking for water to go in your rear drive. Yeah. So we just run a little hose, we run it up there, and it's, you, unless you look at it, you don't even know it's there, but it, it keeps the water out of the rear drive. I mean, there's a myriad of little things, again, depending on – what you're going to do with the motorcycle that that we're doing, and we're all ears. I mean, we're we're constantly looking at other people's stuff. Uh, we're constantly talking to people who come up with things they want that we never thought about. And it's great for us. Somebody pays us how to learn how to do it, and then we're done. We yeah. got the plug. We know what's done, and then we can we can do them and 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 charge reasonable money and 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 you know. We benefited from somebody else asking us to do something for them. And, uh, you know, this is stuff that I would do uh, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. Uh, it's just, you know, so I, it's another reason why it's, it's an enjoyable endeavor. And all the guys in the shop are good guys to work with. And, you know, our biggest problem is making sure everybody gets to hear the music they want to hear. That's funny. I have a hard time with, with worrying about your dog left you and <laughs> your truck doesn't work. You that's know, funny. We, we, see, we seem to get around that. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, just, there's just lots of there's lots of lots of stuff. You know, on my bike, for instance, I had a guy come in several years ago with an R80G. I had to pick him up off the side of the road. His charging system quit. And he came in, and I was riding, was looking at his bike, and I looked down on his crash bars, and he had two little brake pads, you know, the, the pads that would be on, like, an old Ford, and he had them bolted to the outside of his crash bars. So, man, what a great idea for a set of highway pegs. So yeah. I went out and Cut up some, I cut up some flat metal, and welded a nut on it, and and put it. I can stick a bolt in it, and uh, and put the, put the rubber over the metal, and I've got them on my on the top of my uh, crash bar. So I'm driving down the road, I can just take my feet, and it looks kind of silly, but you know you spend you spend do, do a thousand miles in a day on your motorcycle, or even do three hundred miles in a day. You need them. You, you know, need them. You need them. Yeah, yeah you, you need them. Comfy seat, and you need a way to move around, and you know. All that kind of stuff. So, you know, a lot of this is, is just you just listen to people complain or you listen to yourself complain. Uh, you know, somebody ought to do something about this and, you know, and you do it. So uh, it's just it's just kind of fun. So, yeah, one more time, boxerworks.org. You can see some visual evidence of uh, some of your handiwork on all those modifications we just uh, discussed there. Go and check out the photos there. All right, Nathan, I want to get you out uh, of on this on uh, a list of questions that we ask everybody who appears on the program. Uh, this is one of the popular segments. Folks always tell me they love hearing everybody's answers to the same line of questions. Inevitably, they're always different. Uh, first one I'm going to ask you, I want, to, I want you to be specific here if you can. Uh, the four uh, BMWs from 1970 to 1995 
the Mount Rushmore for you. I want to know the year, the color, uh, and the model. Those four bikes uh, of that era that are your personal favorite. Uh, well, uh, you know, I have to start with the R80GS, um, the stock bike with the you know, the small tank or the big tank. It was either a blue bike or a white bike. Really doesn't matter. The, you know, the back fenders were all the same color, and front and fender and the tank were different. But um, you know, I like the I like the Monolever better than I like the Paralever. I think it's a better dual sport bike. So my first my first bike that I that I like the most is is probably the R80GS. Um, but my second bike is probably the R80ST because it's the same bike, but I think it's probably the best bike, handling bike that BMW ever made. It's just a fun bike to drive. Um, so is the GS, but this is just a little bit, just a little bit different. Um, you know, same bike, kind of the department redundancy department, but. Well, and um, you've, and to be clear there, you've got a 19 inch wheel on the ST. Uh, the handlebars are a little bit different, uh, which probably aided both those things probably aided in the, in the feel difference in the in the performance uh, for the rider i'll tell you we just took an r80 st and put a 10 inch wheel on the front big difference in handling both of them rotating the same um the bike just handles a bit nicer you lose a half inch ground clearance by putting one inch you know smaller wheel on it but um it, it made a big difference we did it at his request because he liked the way it looked i know he had no idea what it was going to do as far as his <laughs> yeah. As handling went well, the other thing was uh, on the R80ST, he wanted a dual disc setup on there with Brembo's, and BMW said they couldn't do it, which is why they came out with the Snowflake. We did it. We figured out we made some spaces, moved the wheel over. Um, we've got a dual disc. The bike's still here. We've got a dual disc Brembo front end with spokes on it. Cool. So, uh, you know, a spoke wheel bike. Very cool. Uh, not a tu- not a tubeless, just a regular spoke wheel R80. It's an R80 ST with an 18-inch front rim and dual Brembos, and uh, at some point we'll get it up on the website. All right. Uh, so, the, all right. So the uh, first-generation GS and the ST, those are two. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Probably, I want to say the uh, uh, kind of little out of character for me, but the R100 uh, RT, the uh, 88s, the mono shocks. I have one. It's a very comfortable touring bike. I put my girlfriend on it and all our luggage. And when we used to do the swap meet in Lexington, Ohio, every year, we would. That's the bike we would ride up um, on. Just a good, good airhead touring bike. Good, good protection. The one we have has the police package on it. It's got instead of having two vents, it's got two handles. You push the handles. A driving light comes out of one side, and a and a fog light comes and a, a, a fog light comes out of the other. And so you got these two little lights that come out. That's neat. So I would have to say, in terms of you know practicality, that that RT. I'm not a fan of the RS. Uh, those handlebars are a little radical for me. We do routinely put two-inch rocks risers on them in K75s bars. So we pull them out two inches from underneath the fairing, and we put them up two inches. That lets old guys like me sit pretty much upright. Common modification so, there. Yep. Like, yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I first became a regular customer with Boxer 2 Valve a few years ago when refreshing an R90S. William and Edward Plam's video repair series, well, that was a go-to reference. It made that job and repair session much easier and really an enjoyable process. Boxer 2 Valve carries only the highest quality parts, mainly manufactured by OEM suppliers, so the fit is perfect and the repair 
Well, it's done just one time. Fitment and applications for all parts are clearly listed. To quickly find what you need, you simply enter your year and model of your bike and you'll see only the parts that fit. Shipping, that's always fast with most orders going out that day at 2 p.m. and shipping is available to all parts of the globe. Boxer 2 Valve carries a wide variety of premium special tools and maintenance items, many of those unique to their catalog. William and Edward and the team at Boxer 2 Valve are Airhead fans, and as they say, with a passion for simpler times and uncomplicated machines. Check them out for all your parts needs, Boxer2Valve.com. That's the number two, Boxer2Valve.com. Um, otherwise, I would say um, probably my other favorite bike is going to have to be, be split between, you know, say an R69S and uh, a plunger frame, an R67 or something of that nature. The R67, of course, is not a very practical bike, fun bike to drive. Um, you know, you drive it a little slower, it doesn't, doesn't stop worth a shit, but it's a, but it's a nice bike. And the pre-70 bikes, probably my conversion, if I, if I take a pre-70 bike, I'm probably going to say a conversion. Yeah. Uh, is my other bike. I just think it's, uh, you get the look and the feel of an early bike, but you get the 12 volts and electric start and, uh, you know, you can run heated grips and driving lights and, and they do a modification, have some brakes on it and, uh, and you build a bike that again looks looks the part, um, but it's you know just been an, uh, an updated motorcycle. Okay, next one here for you, Nathan. Uh, we talked about the side stand uh, on most of the uh, classic two four seven bikes—a real uh, pain in the ass or a pain in the foot, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so, what is that? And that's an example of one. But if you could go back in time. Uh, hop in the time machine and go back and change one sort of engineering or design flaw in that uh, 247 run. You had one shot at it. What would it be? Well, I think I think that, uh, you know, Brown Motorworks did the job. I think the Brown side stand does the job as far as the side stand. Oh, goes. sure. BMW, yeah, yeah. You know, BMW... Uh, on their early bikes, you know, they all returned in, instantly because you can't see the stand because of the cylinder. Um, I have an R, R100 in here where a guy put a uh, a switch on it, and so uh, with the side stand down, the bike won't start, kind of what they did with the K-bikes, at least with the K-bikes. And once you put it in gear, it started. So this kind of sucks because you can't start the bike on the side stand. But on the other hand, he wanted the side stand to stay out. He didn't want to drive down the street and make a left-hand turn and end up on the ground. But uh, to me... Um, you can buy the flying teapot. You can buy SWT makes a, a nice side stand out of stainless. There's lots of them out. But in terms of cost and practicality, I can make the brown fit on. I can make the brown fit on almost anything, whether it's a pre-70 bike or a post-70 bike. So, um, you know, if I were BMW, uh, I probably would have moved my stand back further to where you could see it and uh, and made it stay out and made it easily deployable and. Um, yeah, so that, I, I just think so they it, think about it. A whole is lot. Is that is, is that the one design flaw though that gets in your craw the most? I mean, I, I just well, bought I just uh, bought okay, a seven. Okay. Go ahead. So here's the deal. I'm five eight. Um, uh, two bikes that I just did recently. This one R eighty R one hundred 
GS, the one that has this switch on it for the side stand, I can't reach the side stand when it's out. Even though the guy put a foot on it that comes back three inches, I still can't reach it. The bike is tall enough that I can't get either of my feet on the ground, and so I, I can't lean one way. I can't get the I can't I can't get to the side stand. Uh, I've got a, a, another one in here, uh, an R80ST that we turned into an R80GS. It's got a stock side stand on it. I can't get my left foot to, on it either. I, so I, I have to, and I, and I have a bad right foot, and so I can't get on the bike unless it's on a side stand or on the center stand. And I have a lot of customers who are either older or infirm for one reason or another, and they can't hold their bike up. And so, you know, you've got to give them something that's practical on the side stand. So, so to me, that was probably the number one thing. I mean, I can I can go through, you know, service items yeah. uh, and, and that kind of thing, but that, to the average person, that's, that's not really an issue. To me, uh, from a practical standpoint, it's the drivability of a motorcycle um, <laughs> that, that, that's what everybody deals with. So, you know, I think the front ends on them are, are squishy, especially the early bikes, but they wanted a plush ride, so you had eight inches of travel in the front, and that's, that's kind of what they did. Seats always sucked. Uh, it's another thing that they never spend much time on, but neither do a lot of other people. You know, KTM doesn't ever think you're going to sit on the seat. They give you a seat, seat that when you leave, it's stuck up your ass. I mean, they figure you're, you're going to ride always on your pegs. I mean, I'm just saying that's that there's, there's still bikes now. I mean, look, you know, there's tons of aftermarket companies that make seats, and half the time when you buy a BMW, of your motorcycle, you know, it's got an aftermarket seat on it because stock seat's terrible. Yeah, there so, you go. All right. And, and then so in terms of practicality, the side stand of the seat, uh, you sit on a stand on a bike for a long time, you know, you're going to know it. Um, you can't get the bike on or off the side stand. You can't drive it. Yeah. So uh, I think the fact, for instance, on the STs and on the and, uh, and on the GSs, both the 80 and the R100, there's no place to grab to put the bike on the center stand, uh, unless you have a frame in the back that you can grab that doesn't have a set of bags on it. This, they, they make this tiny little handle that's at a terrible angle that you that's under the seat that you can't get your hands on. You you can't put your hand from the top down. You have to try to do a curl with it. So it, it's difficult to put the bike on the center stand. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's part of the stand, the bad stand situation. Uh, that's just another thing that BMW didn't think about. On my, on the panniers, when I carry um, um, my aluminum panniers on the bike, yeah. on the left side, I have a, I have a big handle. Um, so I grab the handle on my pannier, and I can lift my bike up very easily. Okay. Because that sets my leverage right there. I reach straight down on it, put the left hand on the handlebar, put my foot on the center stand, boop, up it goes. Up it goes. But you take yeah. that away, I have to grab the frame for the for the bag. Uh, it's not so bad. But but in general, most people, are they're pulling on it and tugging on it and instead of lifting it the way they should, and they fall over. So, you know, th- these are all common these are all common problems to me that that are the things that need to be addressed the most. Most people don't service their own bikes, you know, so, you know, it's not an issue for them whether it's hard to do something, whether you have to take the exhaust off to change your oil filter on some bikes or that, that didn't, weren't dimpled or even when the, the exhaust system was kind of flat, you still can't get in there and, and, and get it. You know, there's all those little things. You drain the oil when you have a bash plate on it uh, to do your oil filter and the oil runs all over the bash plate. I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of practical things that as a mechanic you learn how to deal with uh, and, and you don't have to worry about it. You, you've got your little, little 
little collector bucket. You've got a little piece of sheet metal you bed the sides up on, slides between the bash plate and the, and the pan, catches all the oil that comes out of the oil filter. Uh, you know, all those things are easy to deal with when you deal with them on a regular basis. But um, to me, those, those rider issues... Uh, those are the, those are those are big items. Those are things that we deal with all the time. Yeah. Well, let me just so. jump in and say, I you know all uh, the three airheads I have, the, all the side stands have been modified in one way or the other. So I've got two brown stands, uh, one on a 90s, one on a RS, and on my first generation GS, uh, I bought one of those side stand fixers. If you if that's even the right term or whatever. That allows you when the stand does go out, it stays out, and of course, you do have to be uh, conscious of that. Yeah. So let me let me say something about that. Yeah, the guy yeah. originally invented that. My understanding from talking to some friends of mine uh, was sued. Yes. Because right. So um, we made them for a while. We still have some here. I had a guy call me recently who's who's a bit of an invalid. And he wanted me to put it on his bike, and I said, I won't do it. And he said, well, sell it to me. I said, no, I'm not, I don't want the liability of this thing. He said, come on, man, I can't ride my bike. I said, well, I'm not selling it to you. I'm not going to be responsible for this. You know, I don't care who you are. Even people who put something under their side stand and put a piece of string on it, you know, depending on how angry they are at, the, at whatever's going on or how much of a hurry they are or how bad the weather is, at some point those people forget about it and something happens. So, uh, you know, it's important to me that, that you know, your bike is able to be ridden with the least amount of thought in terms of getting it going. You know, when you, for instance, when you fix a bike, you have routines. Those routines make sure that you do everything you need to do without necessarily having to think about each step. So your bike is the same way. You get on it, you turn on the gas, you know, you make sure it's in neutral or whatever. Uh, and then you think about your side stand. Hopefully you think about your side stand. Hopefully, yeah. We've been, right. Well, that's the point. One of the things we've been doing with the brown, especially when I build, take these STs and turn them into GSs, I take the brown side stand. I cut the stand off the bracket. Uh, I put it on. The, I put the bracket back on the bike, and I re-weld it at a steeper angle so that the bike sits up a little further. Then I grind out the back of that same bracket so that the stand, instead of sitting out a little bit, is now parallel with the swing arm. So I solved the problem of it sticking out because mine stuck out on my bike, and mine's bent. I did mine years ago, and then riding on some rocks with the girlfriend, we bounced off a rock, we bent the side stand. And they're spring steel. If you try to heat those stands and, and bend them, eventually they snap off because the, the steel was, was treated a certain way, and, and once you heat it and you take that temper out of it, it, it breaks. So uh, you can't do it. So we decided to just change, take the stand, which is a great idea, and modify it for each particular build. We just did it on a cafe bike for a guy in Ohio. He had short mufflers. He wanted a little short reverse cone mufflers. We had no place to put a stand, so we modified the stand and put it up underneath the cylinder, and we changed the angle, and we changed how far back it went, and we changed the way it mounted, and it works perfect, and it's black, and so are his mufflers. You can't even see the thing. When you look at the bike, you don't even see it. So, you know, we, we spend the time to try to make each bike work for whoever it is. A lot of people want us to put a foot on the brown side stand. They say, oh, I, when I'm in, when I'm in the dirt, uh, I have to find a rock. 
Nah, you don't really have to. Well, I understand that. I don't have a foot on mine. It's just something else to drag. I'm in the woods every every weekend, and yeah, sometimes it sinks in the ground, and I just have to lift the bike up a little further when I go and get on it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes yeah. I find a rock. You know, it is what it is. I, I I weigh the pluses and minuses. I don't want a foot on it. I don't want to drag it on the ground. But we just did one for a guy who had to have a foot, and so we we made the foot, but then we cut the inside of the foot out the same shape as the factory did because the factory wanted the stand to stay close enough to the muffler. And so in order to get it closer, they cut the contour of the muffler out on the inside of the foot. If That's you right. Look at the yeah. And so we did that on the brown. We put the brown stand on. We made it where we wanted it. We cut the foot out. We have a pattern because a lot of the GSs that come in, the foot's broken or it's gone or it's been broken off, whatever. So we have little patterns for different ones. So we just we just cut one out on the bandsaw and we and we welded it on there. And so it fits snug. We made the stand go tighter by grinding the back of the bracket. It fits tighter. Uh, it's tidy. It doesn't drag, and it's easy for him to get to. He said, oh, I hate those browns. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, what's the problem? You stick out too far. I can fix that for you. And he came, and he loves it. He picked the bike up today. He loves the thing. He said, perfect. He went out and drove it. He said, this is great. It's there. It's out of my way. I don't have to think about, you know, remember it. I can't. I can see it, you know. So uh, there, there's, uh, you know, you can get around all these things, but – uh, we probably deal with side stands and center stands. For instance, when we build these GSs, uh, we build the ST into a GS and we change the front. When you change the front to the uh, the, the front end that you have on yours, you change the trail. Yeah. When you change the trail on the bike, you change the handling. Then you t- then you take the back tire from an 18 to a 17. When you do those two things, the center stand now barely keeps the bike on the ground because now the bike uh, it teeters or it doesn't get either wheel off the ground. But if you take the stand off an R100GS and you bolt it on there, you know what they did with the GS is, A, they made the stand a little longer, but, B, they made those feet splay out so they go on the outside. Yeah, it was a lot wider. Way, but yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they work easily on the exhaust system, whereas the other ones have to go up under it, and they can only go so far, and then they hit, and then they drag. So, you know. There you have it. There you have it. Another, well, another one of those. Another one of those. So uh, stands. Where, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put you down here for uh, stands uh, as the engineering change. Uh, all right, Nathan. I want to ask you now. Now this could be a story um, of your experience, or it could be a story of somebody who showed up at the shop or called you for some help. But give me uh, either a best uh, roadside uh, repair. Uh, breakdown and repair where, you know, you just had some great MacGyver moment and saved the day or one that was just a complete shit show and, you know, you had to p- put the bike in the trailer and, you know, tuck your tail okay, in and go so, home. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. I was outside I was outside of Buffalo, New York on my conversion going to an MOA rally. It was 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and my bike quit running. And so I pulled over on the side of the highway and I started taking it apart. I had a moon glow frisbee. So I <laughs> took the moon glow frisbee in front of my light for about 30 seconds okay. so I could see my parts. Yeah, good. I had this, I had this uh, uh, 11-gallon, 8-gallon Heinrich tank on my bike. So it took me a while to get it off. And I was in the process of getting it off, and a policeman pulled up behind me. Uh, and he got out of his car, a state trooper. He said, what's the problem? And I said, my bike's quit running. I, I think a wire came off, the power wire came off to my coil. And so he said, well, if I can help you, let me know. So I had on my bike, I used to make these 
14-ounce canvas covers to where the, I, would, I would cut out the hole for the filler cap, and I'd base it around with a speedy stitcher, and then it would lay down, and then the, the ends would come back up, and I'd stitch the corners, put elastic across the top, and I could keep my tools and everything, my food I wanted to eat, whatever, in these, in these elastic bags. Well, on the underside of the bag, I'd stitched a little, a little leather pocket, and that's where I kept my contraband. And so this guy stops and he says, can I help you? And I say, yeah. And I say, can, can you hold this tank for me so I can do this? And so we had the tank. He was holding the tank. Oh, so it was my six-gallon tank, so I had a crossover on it. So I had two little, but where the crossover goes on the slash two, I had taken two little covers for the bleeder screws on a brake caliper, and I had one on each side to keep it from leaking. And the guy was holding the tank up, and he brushed it up against his pants, and it started leaking, and so it covered his pants with gas. And he threw my tank down on the ground, and the tank, my, my cover, which was held on at the top by my filler, but on the side by bungee cords. Well, the bungee cords weren't attached, and so the the, the bag flipped upside down, and my bag of weed hit the ground. <laughs> and he was standing there with a tank in his hand, his pants all covered in gas. He took one look at me, one look at the at the my shit on the ground. One look at his pants, threw my tank on the ground, got and wheeled off and disappeared. And I, fixed, I fixed my bike, fixed the wire, put it all back together, and, and drove. So, so then I drive a little further and I pull off to sleep on a picnic table, and this guy pulls up on an RS, an RT, excuse me, and he says, "Oh, you going to the rally?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, oh, "Well, I'll ride along with you." Okay. Well, he's got a fifth of Jack Daniels, and he's drinking while he's driving. Oh, Lord. And so he's pretty shit-faced by the time he and I, we, we had 300 miles to go. And so we came off an off-ramp, and he was driving like a fool, and he got pulled over, and I just drove on by him. I said, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting involved with this guy. That's a he, good this, move. This, this, that, this guy's trouble. Yeah, so I got to the show. I got to, to actually, I think it was in Vermont where, where I was where I was heading where the rally was, and got there early in the morning. Place wasn't open. Stopped at a station. A guy had a guy saw me, and and in the back was a motorcycle shop. And so I spent the morning in this motorcycle shop, had some dinner with him, and then went over my old bike and and I decided to enter the best dressed motorcycle contest. My bike always looked like shit. People are in there. <laughs> Polishing their wheels and right, all. Right. I, put, I put my bike in. Uh, I had been on the road for three days. I had the same clothes on. Uh, they, they, I was immediately ostracized and kind of pushed off to the side. And it, it was, it was, it was kind of funny watching these people walk by me with this kind of look on their face. That whole, that whole twenty-four hours was just, uh, you know. Just a story. That's great. All, made all the better, in my opinion, by the uh, moon glow uh, frisbee, which I, I remember quite well, quite well. <laughs> right, a, I carried it all the time. It, you know, it gave me something to do. And we'd stop somewhere and you know, want to get a little exercise. We'd find a field and throw the frisbee around. Yeah, that's great. So, that's great. Yeah, that's a, that, so it, 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 it also work good for carrying your parts at night so you can see them. Excellent story. Excellent story. All right, Nathan. So. Uh, here's the question uh, I don't think we've had any sort of general consensus on. Uh, it's one uh, that uh, people say, well, why do you ask such a silly question sometimes? But I do because we always get a different answer and for different reasons. So I bring my bike to Boxer Works uh, in Watkinsville, Georgia. You do an oil change for me. What are you putting back into the crankcase? What oil does Nathan Mendy use on his airheads? Uh, that's easy. It's uh, Valvoline VR1. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so what happened was there was a company called Brad Penn. Brad Penn made an oil called the green oil, 
And it was an oil design for flat tappet motors, which of course is what this is. It had a it had a it had a green tint and an interesting aroma to it. And they made it for years. And every uh, SCCA racer, every IMSA racer, everybody who raced cars and all that, Brad Penn was the oil you used, and uh, you could, you had to buy it, you know, directly from them. There was no place else to buy it. Well, Valvoline bought Brad Penn out several years ago. Um, and then they came out with the VR1. It says right on there, uh, it's for flat tap and motors. It also tells you it's got a high zinc content and all this stuff. You know, motorcycles are considered recreational vehicles. So when the government stopped them putting all that crap in oils for cars, they didn't do it for motorcycles because they guess they figured, well, it's a recreational vehicle. There's not that many of them on the road. The good stuff that kept your motor from wearing is gone in oils, but Valvoline has it. And you can buy it in a straight 50, which is what we use here in the summer. I just ordered 24 cases of it um, uh, because I've been using um, uh, just oil I buy from Parts Unlimited, motorcycle-specific oil. I buy in 55-gallon drums. Uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to use this other oil. I have some Brad Pen that I use on my own bike. Um, and I, I just used it on my bike because one of my buddies gave it to me. He gave me a couple cases of it. But uh, as soon as they started making the VR1, uh, we, when we ran out, which was we're almost out now, we'll have this week we'll have uh, the 20 cases of, of the VR1. So Excellent. Well, we're using and, and and I bought it in the middle of uh, middle of Colorado two years ago. I was out for, for uh, an off-road invite ride. I rode out and it's time to change my oil. I'd done 3,000 miles. And I went to AutoZone. They had a giant pile of it in the back and uh, bought three quarts of it and changed my oil so it's not hard to find it's expensive now it we is. on the damn stuff is 1367 yeah yeah my, my cost is 968 so it's expensive but you know it's what two and a half quarts you, you know if, if you can't afford to spend 25 hours on your oil you probably don't need to be riding your motorcycle so well, nobody complains about the cost of oil no that's not that bad so if I count my response, uh, your response, uh, we had another fellow called David Lee, and I can't remember who the fourth one might have been, but that makes uh, four folks uh, uh, chiming in with the VR1. Uh, I, I've had uh, straight 50 and 2050. I've used both. But Those are the only two they make. They yeah. make a 2050 and they make a straight 50. Yep, so yeah. that is yeah. the uh, the lead horse right now uh, in, the, right. in the great oil debate, so... Well, look, Nathan, uh, I've really enjoyed visiting with you. Great stories. I love, as I mentioned, I've admired you from afar. I really am impressed uh, with the modifications, attention to detail, and everything you've done, uh, especially on the GS bikes. Uh, it's just some great practical engineering. Boxerworks.org. You also mentioned uh, you're on inst Instagram or yeah, IG. Boxerworks on IG. Yeah. Okay. And uh, eBay, if I recall, what is it? B Parts of bits or parts something. Parts and bits. There's a couple of them. I think parts and bits is the one. I also want to mention that you know I put this my and I put this little gold stroke motors thing together. Yes, please. Um, it, yeah, it gives it gives you know it gives Mikey's uh, again Mikey's half my age and so you know he has his own way of seeing things. He has his own way of doing things. You know, both Mikey and Garrett love the guys to death. But first thing in the morning for these guys is ten or ten thirty. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I've learned to live with it. You That's know, funny. Mikey comes in. He comes in and say ten, and he doesn't take lunch, and he works till six. So he he's averaging a six hour day. So it's a thirty hour <laughs> week, and it and it works for him. Uh, he gets done what I need. You know, you 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 roll with the punches. 
Um, but Mikey and I, Mikey wanted to start building bikes, and he had some ideas, and um, we wanted, I wanted Mikey to, you know, kind of have his own thing. Um, so we put Gold Stroke Motors together, and and, uh, and it's funny because in little Mikey's little corner over here, he's got his Gold Stroke motor flag, but he also has a picture of his favorite girlfriend, and that's Tanya Harding, and there's a picture of her on ice skates over here, and I think there's another one of her with boxing gloves. Oh, on. that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny, and so you know, and and Mikey brings his own kind of people to the shop. I mean, it's 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 still my shop, but it's my Mikey's corner of it. It's Mikey's Gold Stroke Motors. I, I don't hassle him about doing stuff. I, I go through everything he does. You know, it does represent the shop, and so and he understands that everything before he posts stuff, we discuss what he's going to post. And most of the time, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with it. When he saw your note the other day that said, uh, "Oh look, hmm," it said that. Uh, you partnered with me. He said, I guess that makes me the, made me the big one. We, we laughed. We laughed our ass off over there. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, good. You're, you're partnering with me now. <laughs> okay, I'm driving the, Give me the big truck. And that's right. Shit you gave me. I want a real truck. So, you, you know, and, 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 and I've had people say to me, oh, it's, it's your competition, this, that, and the other. It's just, it just expands the, the, the scope of what we do. It just gives us a different... Brings in a little different crowd. It gives me a different perspective on stuff. I mean, you know, you 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 gotta you gotta let people have their way. You gotta give people more than a paycheck if they're gonna be your, gonna work for them. You know, there's lots of ways to do that. But uh, you know, Mike is a real likable fella, um, and uh, this thing's worked out fine. We've got a lot of shit about it from people, but you know, the bottom line is it, it works for everybody, and uh, we get we we have fun with it and. You know, so we we got gold. So I just wanted to give Mikey yes, a shout out. Yes, I'm, gl uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know. I'm glad you mentioned that, Nathan. And, uh, you know, I'll just say uh, to tail end on that, you know, that speaks a lot uh, to you. Um, you know, somebody who's able to see new ways of doing things, especially with the younger generation, somebody, you know, who's you know, obviously young enough to be your son, uh, uh, whatever the age. People think I am. Yeah. I tell them he's the prodigal son I'm glad I never had. So. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, uh, that uh, to me that speaks to, uh, to somebody's intelligence when they're able to open their mind and see things different ways. Certainly, don't get a lot. That is your uncommon, I think, uh, in in the airhead world, especially somebody of your age. Uh, not everybody has that much of an open mind. You know, I I don't see, I don't agree with a lot of stuff that goes on. Yeah. But you know, unless I don't, I understand why people do things. I think it's stupid sometimes, but you know, uh, if it works for you and and you know the people you hang out with and so on and so forth, then you know, then great. So this thing here is, uh, it continues to kind of work its way around, and we're getting ready to start. We just picked up a bike the other day that we're going to do another economy scrambler. Unfortunately, it's not going to be able to be as cheap as we started, but we did pick a bike up the other day that uh, I've given to Mikey to, to have his way with. So, Well, I, I did I did check out the website. It's a gold, you know, it's a .com, if I'm remembering right, goldstrokemotors.com. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I and get on it, though. yeah, and there's uh, pictures of about uh, I don't know half a dozen builds. You know, yep. one of the yep. things I really uh, like about it is you know I, I didn't really look too heavily at the modifications uh, or the design necessarily of some of the bikes, but I did like some of the paint schemes he did. I think on one of the black bikes he kind of used that old red, white, and blue 
uh, stripe theme from like yeah, uh, yeah. from a yeah, with tape. from yeah. a from a Harley yeah. uh, from back in the day. That was a neat throwback from the uh, from the Sprint to the Armaki Sprint. Yeah, yep, yep that's exactly yep. right. So I can appreciate yep. that. Uh, I like the style. You know, all the bikes have uh, TKCs or, you know, it looks like it on there. So that's kind of a style um, and in the vernacular these days. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff to check out. Boxerworks.org, goldstrokemotors.com, and as you mentioned, on your Instagram page. Uh, so, Nathan, look, I really appreciate all the time. It's been great visiting with you. I uh, just want to wish you continued success in everything you do. I appreciate it. Thank you for considering uh, interviewing the shop here. You bet. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, what a conversation with Nathan, a true enthusiast and supporter of all things 247 BMW. Nathan, thanks for all you do. And with that, we'll see you next time. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time.